0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Day 8 of the 7 a.m. Novelist March, March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we're hearing from author Catherine Sherbrooke on how to make the reader root for your protagonist and why you should want to try. Uh, Good morning, Kathy.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Catherine Sherbrooke is the author of the family memoir, Finding Home and three novels, the New York oh, Times so Notable, so Leaving I'm Coys Hill, which was selected for the 2022 Massachusetts Book Awards Honors in Fiction Prize, and Fill the Sky, the winner of the 2017 Independent Press Award and finalist for the Mary Sarton Award for Contemporary Fiction. Her newest novel, The Hidden Life of Astra Kelly, is coming out on April 4th from Peganus Books. Yay, congratulations, Kelly.
1: Thank and you.
0: She just, she just ended, we're sad because she was our chair of our board at Grub Street, and she's moving on. She will continue to be a grubby and continue to be involved with Grub Street, but she's done such great service um, for the group. Okay, great. Catherine. Yes. We're talking today about getting the reader to root for your protagonist. What does that mean to you, and why should authors be thinking about this?
1: Yeah, so I want to start with the the why, because to put it in a larger context, for me, this is really all about how to hook the reader, keep the reader really engaged in in the book. And, uh, you know, especially in today's short attention spans, I really think about, you know, how do you keep them reading past the first paragraph, the first page, turning to the next chapter, ideally staying up all night. And then if you really do it well, thinking about your characters, even after the book is is gone. So, so your book stays in their mind. Um, And for me, that kind of deep engagement personally always starts with the character, right? A lot of people think about sort of plot and some amazing premise, which, you know, there are books that start that way of, you know, the world is ending and so forth. But for me, I always um, think about that books that really get under my skin are because I feel like the character is like a dear friend of mine in a way that I really want to root for, or even if not a friend, it's just that I understand their circumstances so deeply that, um, that I want for them what they want. Um, and so that really goes to, to me to, to sort of what it means, um, which is, you know, that if we can make, Uh, primary characters wants and desires really clear. So we know what they want, number one, and then what the stakes are that we're really worried about what might happen for them. If they don't get that thing, then we're sort of immediately, immediately hooked. And we talk about stakes a lot, which I think makes people feel like, you know, it always, you know, the ultimate stakes are life at life and death at risk. Well, sure. That's a real stake, but if we really can relate to what that character wants, it can be a very simple emotional thing, but we desperately want them. So think about the kid walking into the cafeteria, right? Who desperately is hoping they can find somewhere to sit. So they don't look, feel embarrassed as the one sitting by themselves, right? It's something we can relate to. And now the stakes you know, feel high. Oh God, we don't want that person sitting alone. And then imagine that when they left the house, you know, we saw their sweet mother saying, Oh, I'm, you know, I can't wait to hear about all the friends you make on your first day of school, you know, and they don't want to let their mom down. Right. So now the stakes are even higher that, Oh my God, what mom finds out I'm the loser. I think I am that I have made no friends kind of thing. And so it can be a simple moment, but we need to, you know, understand what it is that that character needs and and why it's important to them. And then I think as humans, we want them to have it.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, I talk about this a lot when I'm working with um, novelists. So first off, we need to worry about the character. Right. Um, And we need to worry about the character rather quickly. Um, And the benefit of this is, first off, readers don't particularly like to... Uh, read about characters whose lives are perfect we actually want to throttle them so that's not interesting (laughs) and uh, so we want we want that worry which which a lot of authors refer to as an unstable ground situation and it's probably a situation that a character has been in for some time but just hasn't been able to get themselves out of they're kind of stuck and that might be due to some past issues that they have had Um, But there's something new has happened
1: um, that
0: that makes us even more worried and forces the character to have to act. So and I've mentioned this before, it can be very simple. Like in Hansel and Gretel, there has been a famine in the land for a very long time. But the famine has just gotten worse, which forces the stepmother to take an action, which forces her to do some terrible things to Hansel Gretel. But she's dead by the end, so it doesn't matter.
1: and because one of the, and it's, and I think that point of change is really important because I think one of the mistakes that that we can make, I know I've made a gazillion times, is that we write too subtly in a way because yeah. the, the the character has been struggling with this thing for a long time. And so we sort of are trying to drip it into the water in slow ways to show what it is, but we need to kind of exaggerate it very quickly to bring it to a point so that the reader gets it. And, and I would argue the best moment to do that is the minute they meet your protagonist, yeah, um, that they're introduced that way as opposed to setting some glorious scene and then 12 pages in, you understand what they want if you can do it,
0: yeah. Um, and what's really important so, making sure that the stakes are highly, highly personal for that character because that also helps you characterize the person, exactly. So, let's say, um I don't know. I'm just pulling well, this out of a hat. But I'm like, like, if someone threatened me, like, oh, Michelle, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your car. then I'll say, well, I don't own a car. So that doesn't matter to me. But someone else who needs right. a car in order to visit their child every day that's been taken away from them for custody laws and it's, and their child lives an hour away. And if they're not able to visit their child, they might might lose, you know, again. Right. Right. Uh, So it it really needs to depend on the person and what's most important to them.
1: Yeah. So I have a I have a example. Um, I have a few examples because I I always learn by how do writers actually do this. And so. If any of you have ever read or remember The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. So this is memoir. And I find memoir really instructive in this way because it's not about changing who the person is. It's not that you have the wrong character. It's, you know, here she is, this person who's lived this life. How does she introduce herself to us, the reader, in a way that grabs us? And she opens with the fact that she's sitting in a taxi, wondering if she's overdressed, going to a party, and she sees her mother rooting around in a dumpster. That's her first that's in her first sentence, right? So talk about specific and unstable ground. She's dressed up her mother in New York City. Her mother's looking in a dumpster. And then she goes on to describe her mom from her childhood in a loving way. And then she says she describes herself as slinking down in her taxi seat because she's afraid if her mother sees her, she might stop her. And someone else from the party might see their interaction. And she, as she says, my secret will be out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're immediately like, whoa, okay, hold on. This person has a homeless mother and she she loves her, but she's afraid. And, and she's living this life where she's terrified someone's going to find out about her background. Okay, I want to know that story.
0: Yeah, and it's really complex because that character is not necessarily, she loves her mother but she's also ignoring her mother that's destitute. And so, so that's not necessarily if we talk about likability. Exactly. Um, that's actually not likability. That's more com- complexity. Right. Um, and so, um, and then we're also worried about the mother's character. So there, there's a lot going on there and that starts right. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. that's great.
1: And even if we don't, I think the thing about her, cause I, I agree with you, you could say, oh, yikes. She's, she's pretending she doesn't see her mother. That's terrible. But she makes herself emotionally available to us. So in the way she writes this, she's sharing how she she's clearly feeling horrible and guilty and anxious and worried. And so she describes that in a way that makes us say, oh, gosh, okay, I'm not going to, you know, turn away from her because she's embarrassed by her mom. I'm going to I sort of I believe that I believe that there's reason um, for her to feel all these things, yeah. and I want to stick with her and understand.
0: And I her. might feel the same way. The yes. reader might be like, "Oh, maybe I would feel the same way." And that's really important because otherwise, I think we think we we have our par- characters um, behave perfectly, or right. we have all sorts of excuses for our characters. Yeah, no. that's really really good. Excellent.
1: So um, stakes are high, and then there are other one. I mean, another one of my just most famous ever character introductions is from um the secrets between us by um 3 she's just yeah. an amazing writer and i think i can just read two quick sentences it starts with her name is parvati although she doesn't always know it and then the next paragraph goes on to explain how when she wakes up in the morning she has this blissful moment of forgetting who she is that she doesn't have to remember that but no it says and then she doesn't take long before she remembers oh yes, she's this old woman whose father once sold her for the price of a cow yeah and then it goes on to talk about how she's got to pull herself out of bed and go to the market and do her best to sell her six shriveled cauliflower heads because that's all she has every day you know to live on if she can sell this shriveled you know vegetable and so it's this kind of immediately oh oh and meanwhile she's fingering a growth at her neck absent-mindedly so you're like oh my god this poor woman and of course the writing is incredible but you just immediately you know for me i i wanted i want to know everything that happened to this woman and what's going to happen to her next
0: because both of these are offer also offering mysteries they're Mm -hmm. launching questions what happened to the mother um, and why isn't she going to the mother? Why doesn't, why doesn't the main character want to know, want to remember her name? What has happened to her to, to disassociate so exactly. violently? And is she, what's this thing in her neck? Like, is she sure. gonna be okay? So we're getting, we're getting mystery. We're worried about the characters. Um, we're getting complexity of the interiority. Um, and we talked to uh, Rebecca Mackay a few days ago about interiority. So you guys can listen again to that if you missed it. Um, And then the human value, like every most people, well, everyone has a mother, whether they have a relationship with their mother or not. Yeah, Um, there's there's some family tie there. Everyone has a sense of identity or name or something so we can attach to those kind of hu- widely human um, ideas and commonalities that make us care about the character make us attached to the character and make us fear for the character
1: right exactly and the more specific you know i think a lot about um these universal emotions that you just described and but the more specific you can make your protagonist particular situation, the scene you're showing, then it makes it all the more universal because we we sort of forget about our own situation, but we can imagine everything that's happening with that character and literally, you know, stand in their shoes, as they say, because they're very, very particular shoes, you know, as opposed to saying, I was feeling a little embarrassed about my mother and worried about my friends meeting her. You're like, well, I don't yeah. have nothing to grab onto but yeah. the mom was rooting around in a dumpster. Yeah. You can start to see how that could be problematic when you're on your way to a business function.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: um, so I love those examples. Um, and then I have one from my own work. If I could I share.
0: Love. She was telling me about this before we started. Yes,
1: please. Cause I, I wanted to share how I, um, and this is for my, from my new book that's coming out called the hidden life of Astor Kelly, an example of how I did this poorly the first time. Um. I I tried, I had what I thought was, I had what was a pretty complete draft. So I had the whole book um, and I was at a writing retreat and I proudly read the first chapter with everybody for to everybody and it completely fell flat. I could just tell that reading when people are like, mm, and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I've written this whole novel and now the whole thing is terrible. Right. And so Lovingly, a few of the writers on the retreat stayed up with me that night and helped me work through it. And here's so here's what happens. So the way my novel opens now, Aster Kelly is a young woman who longs to be a fashion designer. And when the book opens, she she's, she's uh, shows up on the steps of a major designer in Beverly Hills um, because she has won a design contest, and with it becomes a chance to interview with like eight designers across the country in hopes of an apprenticeship. I failed to say this is like 1949. So for a woman thinking she can be a designer at this time, unusual. And so when she shows up at this doorstep and this is her last chance because no one else has been interested in her work. And if he, she doesn't catch his attention, she's going back to Newark, New Jersey. And, and, and at that time she has to like be a secretary So basically all there is, or, you know, find a husband, which is not what she wants for herself. And she gets to this boutique and they have like forgotten that she has an appointment and he doesn't even know who she is so that's how it opens right so and and so i got feedback on the second one of like oh now i care about her when i wrote this the first time the one that didn't work was and sorry her backstory is she was a runway model in new york mm-hmm. she's trying to get out of that industry right when i the the one that i read that didn't work she was already in la she was already modeling for this designer she was secretly drawing sketches hoping that maybe she could convince him sometime to mentor her and she's like trying to catch his attention and he's sort of too busy right and and i have her sitting on the floor thinking oh gosh i just i really want people to stop valuing me for my looks i want them to value me for my skill right and i'm watching all the women's faces and they were very honest with me and they were all women in this room and they were like Okay, woe is me. She's a beautiful woman. <laughs> I am going
0: to say, too. Right. She, she's, right. Like, woe is me. I want people to stop valuing. Right? She's a mom. runway model in <laughs>
1: Los Angeles. Yeah. And we're supposed to feel sorry for her and she can't get his attention. Well, so what? So what happens? She doesn't get his attention. She keeps modeling for him. Like she already has made it out of the secretarial pool. Who cares? And I was yeah. like, oh my God. So in the end, right, it was the same care. I didn't change my the arc of my story. It's the exact same character. I just introduced her in a way when she shows up to that door, you don't know she's a model. She's not thinking of herself as a model. She's like this hopeful designer, hoping she gets his attention. Um, And then of course he takes one look at her and says, wait a second, you know, are you a model? And then we hear her backstory and, and why she's leaving New York and all the men who, you know, cornered her in back rooms and the starvation and like the, 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 the downside of it, but you already like her because you're rooting for her. Cause you want her to get this job yeah. and it changed everything. I mean, I think without making that, without um, me getting that feedback, you know, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have sold this novel because nobody yeah. reads past the second page. As if you say, it looks like someone's life is too perfect. We want to wring their neck and like, okay, I'll go read the next thing.
0: Even though at the time you were probably devastated.
1: Totally. <laughs> oh my
0: God. It was horrible. <laughs> those those moments of devastating feedback are the most useful.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've gotten
0: some from you, Michelle. Yeah, it, I, <laughs> I know. Sadly, I have given because, her also. No, it's it's the most back.
1: important feedback. Yeah but I really had to think about that of what, okay. Okay. So can you not root for someone who's beautiful? Is that impossible? No, of course not. What they care about is what's, what's driving you emotionally. Um, And I think also vulnerability is something that is, is attracts us as humans. You know, when you say I'm scared about this, or I'm, you know, or I feel horrible about this, or I'm really worried about this, then people will lean in. Oh, yeah. okay. How can I help you? Yes.
0: brokenness I normally talk about because, the, because we're all broken um, and um, we, we want to see reflections of ourselves on, on the page in some way. So right. we have some good questions and thoughts in the chat. Um, what if a character doesn't know the stakes if they don't get what they want?
1: Yeah, that's that's, um, that's interesting. So um, I think very often, as I was reflecting with a lot of the examples I pulled and even in my own work, an, uh, often a really good way to introduce a protagonist and what they want is in relation to somebody else who's also important to the story. And that can be a way to, to help demonstrate to the reader what's going on. So the things that either are or aren't said between those two characters maybe we get the very quick sense because this other character is sending signals that we the reader see yeah and we see that the protagonist doesn't that makes the stakes even higher in some ways because it's like oh my gosh does she not realize what that person's really saying um and and can introduce you know it, it in that situation maybe the character isn't isn't aware right isn't as self-aware and that's part of their journey um and but if there are other reasons why they don't understand the stakes then I think you have to show what those stakes are so the reader can at least resonate with them and I think that can be really effective you know that sort of withholding there's withholding information from the reader but I also really like as a reader when we know more than the protagonist does sometimes right And then we're hoping like, oh God, no, take, go through
0: that door, not that door, go through that door. Right, right. Um, It's actually necessary in many ways. And it's also part of the, it's part of the narrative distance in the book. So, so there are ways you can indicate outside of the protagonist's point of view of you know the protagonist is caught in their own subjective world they're caught in their their own limitations their own biases what yeah. you you still need to do is show the objective world outside them or give indications of that in some way and when they're in conflict is when it's most interesting that that right. the, the character's not seeing things and they don't understand understand things and they don't know things and yet the reader does yes. um, so it's it's called dramatic irony and um and it creates a wonderful tension um, because then we're worried about the characters. So always think about, I think people forget that you are using the other characters to set up that objective world outside of the character, as well as an objective world of how to view the character correctly. Right. So use your other characters, their comments, their understandings, maybe even their points of views um, to get you there yeah. um, so that yeah. we know what's, we might know what's at stake and we might be worried, but they, they just don't. Right. Then we also have a question. Um, There are characters who we won't root for (laughs) because they're assholes. So I think about the character of John in John Banville's The Book of Evidence. He's completely immoral and he um, murders a servant girl. And so the the whole piece is about um, you know uh, his whether he murdered this girl or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and then also a character I love, but maybe some other char- people don't love so so much. Someone brought up in our chat, the character of Olive Kitcherich. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how about these characters? What do we, I mean, Olive is different than the main character of, of the book of evidence because Olive is not murdering anybody. Yeah. Um, But how are we, how do you think we are invested in or interested in a character like Olive Kittredge? So
1: I I still think it's about um, finding a way to describe emotionally to the reader what that character wants and why. So so even a character who behaves in a way that we either find deplorable or just not someone we want to hang out, you know, hang around, if we understand that sort of core wound which we talk about or the the thing that they're they're really most struggling with i still would argue that we have to find something to root for something that we want them to get you know i think about and i go to tv a lot because the characters are so exaggerated but that the the show succession going on right those are almost all deplorable characters like i have to like rinse my mouth out with with mouthwash i feel like after watching that show all the time but each of them still you can't but help but root for a couple of them you know because like the kids have been abused their whole lives so yeah, they're, they're not great, but you're still hoping that maybe they find redemption, you know, maybe they come out of it somehow, but I think you have to show the reader some path to that. You know, if this thing happens, then maybe that person's life can get better. Maybe that person will, you know, improve as a human being. For me, I think is there has to be possibility. Yeah. You know.
0: I think Olive's character adjusts as we as we go through because I'm trying to remember the order of the stories. But when we're introduced in that book, we we're getting her husband's point of view, mm. Um, so I think we we get interested in the husband, and then she's just kind of to the side a little bit awful but she alters and changes and so I think even titling the book Olive Kittreds makes us like oh are we going to find out more about this character are we going to so there's some mystery there um and then we um you know she she shows up at that I think it's a baby shower and she's wearing a dress that the other women are mocking
1: yeah Right. That
0: alone. Right.
1: Exactly. And then you begin to understand why they are the way that they are. Right. And, and Judith says here, you know, when her husband dies, she becomes more human. So that, that sense of, of, you know, it slowly unfolds all these things that have happened to her in her life that have made her bitter, have made her closed off. And we can relate to that too. And we want her to, you know, to be able to reckon with those things over time. Um, I think you just have to give some, even if it's in language, you know, pro- properly placed, some sense of, of hope of that. Yeah. You know, she might. She
0: and again, might who we start with. So with the husband and the husband's kind of overly interested, I think in his, uh, a young female coworker and, yeah, right. and dinner right. and we are like, Oh, okay. This right. is, you know, and then we begin to veer a little bit more towards all of side and how all of this.
1: And we tend yeah. to root for the underdog. Right. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, other questions. When do you know if you're overdoing the the raising of the stakes, piling on a bit too much? Can that happen? And how do we avoid it? Um, we don't want unrelenting pain and problems so that it seems hopeless. Well, <laughs> um,
1: we we kind of do need unrelenting throughout the course of a novel to sustain it, right? You have to continue to throw obstacles at your character, to, to, to raise the stakes. Um, But I think as long as they're, they're believable and the story sort of gets you there and either builds to them, you know, and gives, gives moments of reprieve, that's okay. But I actually think you have to exaggerate maybe more than you think you do. Um, I find that I went to this great seminar that put painting together with writing and was actually showing how painters from certain points of view have to make certain, certain, um, things in the picture much bigger than they normally would be so that our mind can, can get around, you know, where that person is standing in the field. And I think it's the same in writing. We have to kind of over-exaggerate the situation. So it clicks in for the reader kind of what to focus on. Um, cause that's something that needs to carry through the whole book.
0: Yeah. So
1: I think, I would start with exaggeration almost and pull back them starting too subtle, which is what I tend to do, makes it much harder in some ways to then make the stakes clear.
0: And to think about escalation and complication of what you already have. So you're not like, I don't know, a woman loses her house and then her child dies and then her country goes into a pandemic. And then I don't know, she has to have her foot cut off. Like, I don't know, all these horrible, those are those it are additional but separate disasters but separate that are right. not innate um are not connected to the character because also too you're looking for things in which the character is somewhat culpable in which the character you know might in some way have caused even if she hadn't you know intended to um
1: so you're unintended consequences i think about all the time that's the best kind of stake or obstacle is when the character threw it in front of herself not meaning to but made this decision and then oh god now i've got this thing and it's more, it's it's even more believable and authentic, as you're saying. It's not just an act of God. Of oh, yeah. God! Now the tree fell on our house. Really? It's something that a decision that she made that that makes her life get a little bit worse.
0: Yeah. Um, so in some ways, better. you're testing her. You're you're testing her wound too. Like whatever right. in the past that she needs to face again. Um, and and then you escalate that instead of adding on a bunch of other stuff. You simply complicate and escalate that, right. um, and then and and that stays with the character. So I think that can save you from feeling like you're you're adding too much on. And I do think when novelists start, they're like, oh my god, how am I going to fill so many pages? So they start adding a lot of crap on. Yeah. Um, you don't want that kind of addition. You want escalation of what you already have. So look at that. Look back at the pages that you already have. Yeah. Um, another good question. What about a character who's stuck in her situation and afraid to change? That she thinks her life is fine, but we see it as solitary without true love or joy. And this this writer says her want is to not change.
1: Mm. Yeah, this is interesting. And and I've i thought about this one a lot, too, because I, I think those are very real characters to real life, right? People who think everything's fine, um, not sure what they need to change. Um, I would argue then you still need to find something that is an issue for them in the beginning, something, whether it's, you know, I don't know the needing to get their. I can't think of the thing that it is their TV's broken and they need to lug it and get and I, I'm coming up. I'm terrible examples on the fly, but something we care about in the moment, but it can't be random,
0: yeah. something
1: that will that is illustrative of the larger issue you're going to eventually see them solve, that maybe it becomes a symbol of something. Maybe that moment clicks in with the reader of like, that was interesting how they handled that little thing that then snowballs into the larger thing that they, they learn about. But I would argue you still very early on need something, or even if it's they're really late to a meeting, right, or really late to um, their review and they need this raise. And if they miss their review time that, you know, there's no way they're going to, they're going to be able to talk their boss into this raise that they really need for something else. And so something that gets them rooting for them, even if it's not, you know, you're not immediately putting out there the larger problem, we need to stick with them to want to see them get to the office, see them get to that conversation, see what happens. And the whole time we're learning about it. And then maybe that, that That's just emblematic of this much larger issue that they don't even realize that they have.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Because you still need to give your character something to do. Right. So if her desire is not to want to change, a character like that is just going to lock themselves in the room, maybe with their cat and never go outside. And that's not going to be much of a novel. Right. Um, What I would argue is that her desire not to change is her flaw. Right. Um, and so that's not actually driving that's not actually the thing that's driving the flat, the the plot. As Kathy says, you need to then give you still need the plot engine to give her something to do, something to chase after, something to search for. Um right. and it will likely be something that she's forced to do that will force her to change. Right. And it often happens in
1: relation, as I was saying before, to other characters. So my first novel, yeah. actually, I was sitting here and thinking about it's really about this character Tess who's this businesswoman who never wants to lean on anybody. She doesn't think she needs help. She's the one who helps others. Well, she's thrown into being forced to go down to Ecuador to help her friend who's dying of cancer, go through shamanic rituals to see if they can cure her. It's the ultimate of something she can't control. And so she thinks the trip isn't about her. Right. But she's thrown into this situation trying to help her friend. And in the end she realizes She needs as much help as her friend does from an emotional standpoint, but I had to put her somewhere that like messed with her and exactly the thing. Right. So you think she thinks it's all about her friend. She thinks it's all about this cancer and this thing, but that situation is exactly all about what Tess had to learn. She just didn't know it when she went down there.
0: Which is a perfect example of um, desire by request. Or by request, um, You know, you can have your book be jump-started by a request that someone else makes. They feel a duty towards that person. They need to act on it. So just, just like Kathy said that, which is a perfect solution for a character that doesn't want to change and doesn't think they want to change. That someone else comes in, makes a request that they cannot um, refuse but though by midpoint of the novel at least you need them to have gone full hog into the desire into into the action because otherwise you can't quite keep running on that but it's a process yeah Yeah, that's perfect I love that Kathy I'm gonna have to let you go (laughs) we're gonna have to finish up um Okay, everyone, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe for updates. And if you want to join our daily webinars in March, you can still do so. Just email me at Um, 7amnovelist at substack.com. And you can also find the podcast version of these webinars on your favorite podcast platforms. Kathy, are you going to be able to get some writing done today? After I have my next cup of coffee? Yep, there I go. To she has amazing. a very large top. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, thank you, everyone. I hope you have a fabulous writing day. Thank you. But you never wonder why there isn't nothing here at all.